Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Welcome back to Faked, guys, your favorite podcast all about fake stuff, counterfeit items, and scams in general. Um, I know we took a week off, and that was uh, simply because life gets in the way, Um, so a little busy. But, you know, we're back, and I wanted to do a doozy. This one is all about fake cheese, and uh, I'm excited to do this one because I think everybody really just loves cheese, and cheese of all varieties, but... uh, You know, I want to talk about the fake side of it. There's definitely a fake side, and then there was actually some historical notability to fake cheese, uh, and we're going to go over that, and that was uh, something that was pretty big and actually things that we still hold on to today, Um, but we'll go over that. So you know how we always start with faked. We like to look at the history of the particular product because with history, that basically generates any sort of value to it. So, you know, value is huge when it comes to things of this nature because people don't really counterfeit stuff unless it's worth money. Um, I guess, I mean, there would be the alternative, like if they just need something at home, but they're not selling it. You know, if they if they want something cheaper, then they just make it themselves. But uh, it's not really, you know, counterfeit. So let's talk about early cheese, okay? So they think cheese was first discovered around 8,000 BC, which is crazy. That's so long ago. <laughs> I mean, 8,000 8, BC. Okay. So that was around the time when sheep were first domesticated. So uh, rennet, which is R-E-N-N-E-T, is the enzyme used to make cheese and it's naturally present in the stomachs of ruminants. Okay. So the leak-proof stomachs and other bladder-like organs of animals were often put to, uh, put to use to store and transport milk and other liquids. So Without refrigeration, warm summer heat uh, in combination with residual rennet in the stomach lining would have naturally curdled the milk to then produce the earliest forms of cheese. So we think that cheese came around possibly accidentally or just some byproduct basically of early life. Um, So these milk curds were then strained and then salt was added for extra preservation, giving birth to what we know as that delicious food from the gods, cheese. So... I guess even with the addition of salt, warm climates uh, meant that most cheeses were eaten fresh and made daily. Um, So early Roman texts describe how ancient Romans often enjoyed cheese. So Romans were living the good life, okay? They enjoyed a wide variety of cheeses, and cheese making was already considered an art form. So they provided hard cheese for the Roman legions and hard cheese, you know, uh, you've probably had some before, like Romano. It just lasts so long. I mean, we have things in our fridges. And you've seen like salt caves and you've seen, uh, I think nuns are really famous for making cheese. I know uh, nuns were more of like the food side of stuff. And then you've got the monks that made like beer. They made um, chartreuse, all these different things. But the word cheese comes from the Latin word satius. So it's or it's, maybe it's caseus, yeah, C-A-S-E-U-S. So that's the root of which is um, traced back to the Proto-Indo-European root quat, which is K-W-A-T, meaning to ferment or become sour. Yummy. Okay, let's further go on European cheeses. So 
As cheese making spread to the cooler climates of northern Europe, less salt was needed for preservation, which then led to a creamier, milder variety of cheese, which we know a lot of today. So these cooler climates also saw the invention of aged, ripened, and bleu cheeses, which are so good. So many of the cheeses that we're familiar with today, cheddar, gouda, parmesan, camembert, were first produced in Europe during the Middle Ages. So a lot of the the good cheese that we know today, that comes, you're going to have to thank the Middle Ages for that one. So let's go into modern cheeses. So mass production of cheese didn't occur until 1815 in Switzerland when the first cheese factory was built. So soon after, scientists discovered Kind of how to mass produce rennet and uh, industrial cheese production spread like wildfire. So then we move into the pasteurization process, which made soft cheeses safer, reducing the risk of spreading tuberculosis, salmonella, listeria, and brucellosis. Uh, so outbreaks still occur from raw milk cheeses, and pregnant women are warned not to um, to eat the soft ripened cheeses and blue veined cheeses, which are delicious. Um, I'm a really big fan of those cheese um, varietals or young cheese, I think is what they call them. But, you know, if they're not safe, they're not safe for certain people. So with the American um, industrial food, a a revolution came in the invention of processed cheese, which will then jump us into the next um, story here after I continue on with this. So processed cheese combined natural cheese with milk, emulsifiers, stabilizers, flavoring, and coloring. This inexpensive... Cheese product melts easy and consistent and has become an American favorite. Production of processed cheese products skyrocketed during World War II era. You know, that was an obvious thing because they people weren't here to make stuff. You know, they needed to make things efficiently and safe. So since this time, Americans have consistently consumed more processed cheese than natural cheese, which is the sad part of it. But um, there is an uptick in this next story we'll be talking about because then it shows people have went away from it and we now have a... 300 million or more stockpile um, of, or 500, I guess, 500 million pounds of this particular cheese still stockpiled today, which is nuts. So um, if you've never heard of government cheese, that's what we're going to talk about now. Okay. So government cheese, it was something that was passed out during the 1980s recession and it's still iconic to today, okay? People still talk about it, um, and we still, I believe, still use it. Um, basically, they say it's between Velveeta and American cheese, and a bunch of people, because it was passed out as rationed. I mean, they made too much, and then um, because they incentivized a lot of the dairy industry to make this stuff, and boy, they were just cashing in. Um, literally cash cows, which maybe that's where it came from. But um, that is where um, this huge stockpile came from. Okay, so we're going to go through um, through this a little more in depth. So it was its color was like a pale orange, was eye-catching, um, and it came in iconic stacks of five-pound blocks um, that made it pretty much clear that it wasn't your standard cheddar or camembert. So the cheese, which was distributed by a federal program uh, during a time of volatile milk production in the 1980s recession, 
is iconic to the day, uh, you know, to today. So forming fraught memories among those who had to eat it and those who never got a taste. So the cheesy story all started in 1949 when the Agricultural Act of 1949 gave the Commodity Credit Corporation, so a government-owned corporation dedicated to stabilizing farm incomes, the authority to purchase dairy products like cheese from farmers. So the CCC had been around since the Great Depression when it was created as part of the New Deal's attempt to stabilize prices and help farmers. So during the 1970s, as Americans sat in long gas lines, pretty nuts because that was like a time of just rations. So you had to ration out gas. That was, could you imagine today people going through that? I just don't think it would go well. <laughs> so they were watching the economy tank. They faced another crisis. So an unprecedented shortage of dairy products. So in 1973, dairy prices shot up 30% as the price of other foods inflated. So we kind of are feeling a little bit out of a little bit of that now, just because we put out a ton of money during COVID and all this relief and stuff. So when the government tried to intervene, prices fell so low that the dairy industry balked. Okay, so in 1977, under President Jimmy Carter, the government set a new subsidy policy that poured two billion dollars into the dairy industry for just uh, in just four years. So now they're pumping money into the dairy industry. And dairy farmers, which were, oh, they were just left and right, just falling off, okay? So now suddenly these dairy farmers that were um, hurting were now flush with cash and producing as much milk as they could just in order to take advantage of government support. They weren't limiting these these farmers at all. So the government purchased the milk dairy farmers couldn't sell and began to process it into cheese, butter, and dehydrated milk powder just to kind of elongate it. So... As dairy farmers produced more and more milk, stockpiles ballooned. Um, so as anthropologist Bradley N. Jones notes, eventually the stockpile hit over 500 million pounds stored in hundreds of warehouses in 35 states. It is crazy. So that is so much cheese, more than they could. They said it was almost going to be cheaper just dump it into the ocean. Okay, so the huge supply was a problem. Um they had no idea what to do with the cheese, and they just said that it would be cheaper and more practical to just dump it in the ocean rather than try to distribute to everybody. So there was also confusion as to how long the processed American cheese, designed to be stored for um, like a, a really long time, they didn't know how long it would actually last. So as officials scrambled behind the scenes to figure out how to deal with the cheese, the cheesy conundrum became public when Agricultural Society John, our secretary, sorry, John R. Block showed up at the White House event with a five pound block of greening moldy cheese and showed it to the press. We've got 60 million of these that the government owns, he said. It's moldy, it's deteriorating, we can't find a market for it, we can't sell it, and we're looking to try to give some of it away. So they couldn't sell it just because it was a government program that was already paid for by the people essentially. So as the public got wind of the ex, um, existence of all the surplus cheese, it began to sharply criticize President Ronald Reagan. So he had been elected in part of bandying around inaccurate stereotypes of like welfare queens and poor people who gained the system and earlier in 1981 had pledged to reduce the federal food stamp program. So there were hungry Americans still suffering from the after effects of the recession. Why not give them the cheese? So that's what um, that's what kind of the big government conundrum of that time was and it seemed like Reagan kind of took a lot of that on. But um, in December 1981, Reagan relented. 
So at a time where American families were under increasing financial pressure, their government cannot sit by and watch millions of pounds of food turn to waste, he said in a public address. So as a result, he said he'd free 30 million pounds of cheese from the country's stockpile. He created the Temporary Emergency Food Assistance Program, which began handing out blocks of processed cheese to the elderly, low-income people, and organizations that serve them. So now it's known as government cheese. The pungent smelling um, and often moldy cheese was ultimately distributed to the tune of 300 million pounds. So the cheese became associated with hard times. While some were grateful, um, a lot of historians uh, like Kristen Lucas and Patrice, uh, Patrice M. Buzanel often hated the ways in which the cheese advertised their socioeconomic status. So People didn't really want to get it because when you did have it, you just knew that person was on hard times. It was like a telltale. It was like a scarlet letter, kind of. So today, some people actually recall the cheese fondly. Um, food writer Tracy Lynn Lloyd record, uh, recalls how its weird texture kind of made it only good for macaroni and cheese or grilled cheese sandwiches. It made me a grilled cheese with... Um, if someone made me a grilled cheese with government cheese today... I probably couldn't eat it. Um, it would be far too salty for my current taste, apparently, is what she says. So kind of gives you an in-look into what the, it tasted like. So, But uh, they would just take a bite, they said, for the memories. Kind of cool how like something like this just tied together a point in time. And it kind of like masks with us today. You know, when anybody gets a mask on, they're going to associate it with the COVID pandemic. Um, and it some people may find it like years down the road, you know, like putting a mask on may bring them back to times where they spent more time with family. You know, I don't know. That's kind of crazy. I guess I didn't really make the comparison, but um, it's good to get a kind of a look into these, this time frame. This is not any, you know, most of us didn't live through this. There are people that do. And I hope, you know, if you guys are listening to this podcast, this is great. I, you know, I love having you guys here, but I mean, it is cool to have a kind of a look into these things. So the government finally got out of the cheese business in the 1990s when dairy prices calmed down once more. So decades later, the CCC, the government-owned corporation that made government cheese possible, entered the news again as the Trump administration announced it would provide large subsidies to offset the impact of its trade war with China, Canada, and the European Union. So kind of an interesting look into history there and what cheese had, like this big cheese, you know, historically monumental era to where these fake cheese came about but we still have it today and that's what we're going to talk about today is some of the fake cheeses that kind of sit on our shelves um and it's weird because the u.s food and drug um, administration sets the rules for what qualifies as cheese and what doesn't so for instance a product must contain at least 51 percent real cheese just to be labeled as a pasteurized processed cheese food which is so gross Anything that falls below that, barely um, half cheese standard, may be considered a cheese product. So that's a popular term that has no legal definition and gives food companies a lot more leeway to add ingredients that are not even allowed in the processed cheese. So let's go on. Okay, number one, let's talk about Velveeta. Okay, Velveeta is made by Kraft and it's a cheese-like product that contains emulsifiers that hold it together and make it so creamy and spreadable. Okay, it has a mild flavor and an unmistakably yellow-orange color that even kids probably know it's not real cheese. So still, Velveeta has a wonderful texture that makes it ideal for many dips. It's sold in a block, but you can also buy it in a boxed mac and cheese variety that comes with a squeezable pouch. Okay, so any cheese that you can squeeze is probably not legit, so buyer beware. 
Okay. So back in actually 2002, the FDA cited Kraft for mislabeling Velveeta as a pasteurized product, uh, processed cheese spread because it contained milk protein concentrate, um, an ingredient not allowed under the rules. So they did not change the recipe. However, it just changed the label opting for a less regulated cheese product descriptor. Okay, next, uh, Kraft Singles. We all know this. Um, they're great on burgers, inside grilled cheese sandwiches, or just eaten by hand, which sounds so gross now. I mean, we used to do this, but my parents got out of this game a while ago. We did not do Kraft Singles. So are they actually cheese? Well, technically there is cheddar in it, but uh, so are a lot of other ingredients that are not cheese. So we're talking kind of about the milk protein concentrate, whey, calcium phosphate, and sodium phosphate. So nobody really believed this was real cheese, I don't think. So again, they had to kind of switch from calling it cheese food to a cheese product. Number three, let's talk about Kraft Parmesan. So Kraft's grated Parmesan is a little different from some of the food giants, often um, so-called cheese products. It actually meets the U.S. definition of cheese. Um, however, it is not real Parmesan cheese. So at least not by strict Italian standards anyway. So genuine Parmigiano Reggiano can only have three ingredients and that's milk, salt, and rennet. So American imitations like Kraft contain a lot more than that. So the includes dubious ingredients in uh, particular cellulose, a filler made from wood pulp, which is used to keep cheese from clumping. So according to the counter, Kraft and several other companies spent years in court battling claims of false advertising over the filler's presence in products labeled as 100% grated Parmesan cheese. Notably, the newer packaging no longer includes the 100% language. So next time, just go for the real Parmigiano and get a cheese grater instead. So number four, let's talk about Cheese Whiz. So Cheese Whiz, uh, I think we all know, is not real. Okay, so whether uh, use it as a nacho-style cheese dip or the topping for your Philadelphia-style cheesesteak, which is delicious. It's iconic, too. Um, but what did the un conventional spelling, I guess, uh, give away. So when you talk about cheese, which is C-H-E-E-Z, so it's artificially, um, it's so plainly obvious that uh, Kraft doesn't even bother with cheese product, disclaimer on the label. So the lengthy list of ingredients include whey, canola oil, maltodextrin, milk, protein, concentrate, sodium phosphate, and we don't really need to talk more because they don't even spell cheese correctly on it. I think that speaks volumes on that. So Another one here is the Easy Cheese, um, which comes in like the um, aerosol bottle. Yeah, it's it's what you can pretty much just put spread on stuff, and it comes out of a bottle. So um, it's not cheese. Uh, the spray can from Monden Mondelez International may be fun to spatter onto crackers, but it is a pasteurized cheese snack, which is a legally undefined term as well, and is so far from real cheese, it's not even the same like universe. So cheddar is, is in fact listed among the ingredients, but only after uh, whey, canola oil, and milk protein concentrate in order of appearance. So the list further includes lactic acid, sodium algamate, and sorbic acid as a preservative, which is crazy. Um, that is so far from cheese, it's ridiculous. So we talked about fake cheese, but I do want to go on the upside and let's talk about some of the most expensive cheeses in the world. So while these may not be faked, I don't. I haven't seen them on the market at least where they're like, okay, this is Cacio Bufala. Um, 
I don't think a lot of people fake them and kind of misrepresent them, but maybe in Italy they do. I just haven't been able to find any um, articles because we know the what we talk about is the fact that if there is some, if there's like a market for something, there's definitely a fake one. So let's talk about Caccio Buffala, Buffala, which is $43 per pound. That is Caccio di Buffala is an expensive cheese from Italy, which um, is made from whole fat buffalo milk. We actually had this when we were in Italy and I could have ate it all Day. So very expensive. Didn't know it was that expensive. Number nine is Bolfort Deete, which is $45 per pound. Um, and I'm just going to go through the money, I think, on this one. So number eight is Old Fort, which is $30 to $50 per pound. Uh, number seven is Jersey Blue, $45 per pound. Mm, that is a Swiss cheese, so it's not from New Jersey. It's from a Jersey cow. A lot of people, I think, think that that is what Jersey cheese means. So Caccio Cavella Podolico is $40 to $50 per pound. Um, number five is Bitto Storico, which is $150 per pound. So we're, we're really moving up here in price. Uh, White Farms Cheddar is $200 per pound. That one comes from the United Kingdom. Um, number three is White Stilton Gold. Um, that is $400 per pound, and it includes edible gold leaf in its list of ingredients, so, you know how I feel about gold um, being put into stuff. I think it's just kind of a scam in itself. But number two is moose. So this is $500 per pound, and it is from a moose, which only produce about five liters of milk a day. So it doesn't really make a lot of cheese. So I think that's why it's so expensive. And then number one, we have pool, P-U-L-E, or poulet. Six thousand or six hundred to thirteen hundred dollars per pound, and let's going to talk about this one. So it's made from donkey's milk. I actually have seen this, and it's only available in Serbia or Montenegro. Pretty crazy stuff. Apparently, it is the best cheese you could possibly get on the market. So, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode all about cheese and fake cheese. I rather enjoyed learning more about it. So. If you guys follow me on TikTok, I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, And if you're from TikTok listening to your first episode, I'm glad you guys made it all the way through. And there's definitely more to come as we're approaching our 100th episode. We're going to hopefully do a doozy for that one. So remember, guys, with faked items, there are those who produce them, those that purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.